Hey, Metalheads, this is Robin Kyle from Reign of Glory. And this is Nick Layton from Reign of Glory, and we want to... Pump you up! (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Wild Man and Steve. Rock on! You are about to listen to the intersection of faith, talk, and music. The Wild Man and Steve Show starts right now. So, Steve, I'm going to tell you what, man. You know, we've said this before on this show, but this time especially, we had a little hiatus here for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, after going interview after interview after interview, that hiatus made it interesting. And so I just want you to tell our all of our listeners um, how much you missed me during this time. Uh, well, man, this is a Christian show. Are, are you actually asking me to lie? You know, lie is such an ugly word. You know, uh, you're you're a Latin teacher. You can come up with something better than lie, right? Uh, a- a- absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, really, honestly, words cannot express how I feel when I'm away from you. <laughs> you know, they always say that if you want to get closer to somebody, you drift apart because uh, the more the, the further you are apart, the closer you get. So, uh, I, you know what? I, I you know what? I, I'll tell you the truth. Tell you, you know, this this is the truth. All right. I I was miserable without you. It was almost <laughs> like having you here. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's great. You know, are the uh, these listeners have always just appreciated how much that you and I get along. Um, you know, it's kind of like those, if you watch those, uh, those sports talk shows where there's like these friends and they like go at each other for two hours and argue and scream and yell, and then they keep going. That's how we get the ratings up, you know, because you hate, absolutely because you, 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 you bring hate to the table and I bring Christian love and you, you bring the ratings. That's why you're here. You know what? And listen, to be a fair, it's what guys do. (laughs) I, I, I seriously, I've never heard my wife or any of her, her women friends. I've never heard them ever cut on each other the way guys do. It's just a guy thing. Ah, cut on each other, man. You're really yeah. showing. You're really showing your age using that one. Cut on each other. That's a long. Uh, oh, really? Well, that's, okay. that's, that's like our high school. Your high school days, long, <laughs> long before mine. All right, ladies and gentlemen, rank that opening. Go to wildmanandsteve.com, hashtag wildmanandsteve, and let us know how we did on that opening. As you know, rank it from one to ten. One being the best, and ten being the best. Steve, what do you think, wild man? All I can say is, wow. So this is where the magic happens. Yes, it is. Can you believe it? Wild Man and Steve, finally on live radio. Classic Christian rock radio, that is. Exactly. Hey, come over here. Let me show you this. Okay. What do you think? 
Um, this is a broom closet. You might see a broom closet. Buddy, this is your future office. You're kidding. Nope. The station manager posted the plans over here on the wall. Take a look at what this broom closet will be after the remodeling is done. Dude, this is awesome. My own office. Yep. Isn't it great? Hey, I got to take a call. Excuse me for a second, okay? Oh, sure, sure. I can't believe this. The plans for my office look great. Hey, hey, wild man. I, I think you accidentally locked me in here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wild man show. Wild man. Uh, wild man. Come on. Now, this isn't funny. Wild man. Listen to the wild man show every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. His show includes classic Christian rock and metal bands, as well as current bands with that great classic rock sound. It may also include me occasionally, if he ever lets me out. Hey, wild man, come on. So now everybody's on the edge of their seat waiting for this part of the show when I turn it over to Mr. Segway, Mr. Steve Perkins, Latin teacher, rock and metal enthusiast, who always does a great segue for all of our guests. So Mr. Segway, take it away. Well, before we get introduced to the guest, Wild Man, I just want to say, I'm not surprised, of course, that you said things at the beginning that hurt my feelings, as you usually do hurt my feelings. But what I was actually going to say to you was that from our hiatus here for a few weeks uh, of, of not recording, um, I have felt that not spending regular quality time with you was just an absolute just calamity in my life. And I just want you to know, sir, that calamity kills. Do you, do you, do you realize that, sir? Calamity kills. So anyhow, that, I just want to say that. Calamity yeah, kills. Yeah. You know, what I like about that, I mean, you're a, you're a Latin teacher and I'm a preacher. And so calamity kills. You got that alliteration thing going on there. You know, the KK, you know, it doesn't rhyme, yeah. but it's the alliteration, no. you know. But, you know, that would actually be the name of a really good band. Yeah, that'd it would be. be. Good, that'd be a good band name, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, it, it would be. But, you know, I mean. I don't know if anybody would ever have enough guts to uh, come up with a band with a name like that. But the one we have with us probably would, because ladies and gentlemen, we have Jamie Rowe, front man. Many of you know him from Guardian, but he also had his solo projects that he's been working on the last several years. And now he's coming out with a brand new project, which is why he's on tonight called Calamity Kills. Jamie, welcome to the program and thank you for surviving that opening. <laughs> happy to be here guys very happy i also like that you just you, you basically summed up the whole meaning of the record you don't want calamity calamity kills all right <laughs> that's it okay folks so interview's over that was it, that's that's it, yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That? so hey so jamie you know i i was sharing steve some of your story because i know some of your story just from following guardian and i remember tony mm -hmm. telling telling the story at the guardian concert i remember it vividly when he told us the story about you joining guardian and you dropping oh, yeah. you dropping the name jr and all of that stuff mm -hmm. um and back but i was i followed you back with tempest so yeah. i want you just to share a little bit here at the beginning to tell us about where where did you get first get started into music in the first place you know that's kind of hard um first of all guys thanks for having me that's great, but that's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly. I've just always loved music, and I think um, 
gosh, I'm going to guess around 83, 84. Um, I was like a real pop kid and stuff. I, I liked like, you know, Duran Duran and things like that. I like really loved it. And then um, I had an older brother that brought home a rat record. I think it was out of the cellar. And I was just like, all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is, sounds great. So, so I got like interested in hard rock and it was probably 13 or 14 maybe. And then uh, I used to imitate voices from my friends. Like, you know, hey, Rocky, what's me blue rabbit on my hat? You know, just, you know. <laughs> and it got to the point where I would uh, um, imitate like singers. And before my voice changed, I could really, you know, as, as a kid, I could really like imitate a lot of people and sing real high stuff. And uh, everything was, so people, I would do that for entertainment reasons. And uh, then we went to like this, uh, karaoke thing at a six flags park in st louis on a school trip <laughs> and they my friends paid for me to sing one a dead or alive <laughs> and like it actually sounded pretty good enough where all the kids were like making cassette tapes and stuff and passing them around all of a sudden i decided okay i guess i'm a singer and so there's a lot of things in and out that happen along the way but that's really how it basically started like okay i guess i can sing and i was horrified to sing in front of people you know for the longest time I got to say, here here is the proof of the difference between you, an actual musician and and rock star, and the rest <laughs> of us who went and made tapes like that at amusement parks. I remember also, and I think we're probably about a similar age. I remember going to an amusement park in Cincinnati called Kings Island. Kings Island, heck yeah, near mm -hmm. I'm from Southern Indiana, and and so my buddy and I were there, and we go into the little shop, you know, to make make the song. And so we decide to tackle Stairway to Heaven. Now, this is beyond ridiculous. Right? <laughs> so we get in there and we're doing Stairway. And for some reason, I decide to do a line that Robert Plant would had done. I think it's in in, in the movie. Um, the song remains the same. Yeah. So we get, we're doing it there. Uh, and he, he does a line. He says, does anybody remember laughter? Mm -hmm. So I do that in that ridiculous style. We get the cassette and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so cringeworthy. Uh, this is terrible. So that's what happens when the rest of us try to do that. You actually do it, and then it turns into a real career. So. No, it was, it was, it was kind of crazy. But, you know, do you still have a copy of that? 
You know what? I wish I did, brother. I, you know, I seriously. One of my doubt. one of my school friends from back in the day says they have one. They'll give me a cassette copy of it someday. So, oh, that's cool. I'd actually love to hear it. You know, at this point, yeah, yeah that's cool. That, Eighty-five wow. or something? Eighty-six? Eighty-five? Yeah. Eighty-six with you? Yeah. So, so did did both of you? I just got to ask this: Did both of you survive the beast? I, you know, I have ridden the beast once, but it's funny. I remember right. um, playing there with Guardian. But also, and I had a, another power pop band in the early 2000s called uh, London Calling, and Guardian's old uh, booking agent was like the one who booked the talent for their Christian festival, and he uh, threw us a bone, threw us on the bill, and I remember oh. that. So we wow. played that afternoon cool. with like it was cool, yeah. It was a gosh, that was probably 2003, yeah. Nice, wow. So, so uh, just to reminisce a bit, tell us a little bit about um, what I alluded to earlier about joining Guardian and what the experience with Guardian was like for you and your career. Yeah, you know what? It was it was really cool. And I think about this all the time. You know, I'm, I'm 53. You know, just life has just really been pretty amazing for me. I've had some really cool mountaintop experiences. And the reason I know that and can say that is because I've also been in the valley, you know, so I know what it's like to look up. But man, I uh you know, I was really, you know, I loved Striper and I loved everything that was coming out of the whole sanctuary church thing in California, Deliverance and, you know, Guardian, Baron Cross, all that stuff, Neon Cross. I loved it all. And I just, uh, I remember doing a, when I was in my first band, doing an interview with this magazine called The Pin Dragon. And this guy, Jeff McCormick, ran it. It was like a little fanzine. And he was telling me, he goes, yeah, I just interviewed uh, Tony Palacios from Guardian. He goes, he goes, you guys, you sound like he'd be somebody you'd, you'd be interested in knowing or something like that. You, you want his number? And so I was like, sure. So he gave me his phone number. And I literally, 17 years old, called him. And Tony, you know, 27 at the time. Tony's 10 years older than me. And I knew that Striper was, I knew Oz was producing a record. And they were signing Enigma. And I just thought, I thought they were like really rock stars, like legit. And at 17-year-old me picks up and said, hey, man, uh, don't hang up. I'm just a fan. Somebody give me your number. And Tony's like, What? Like, what do you mean hang up? Like, you know, <laughs> and everything. So anyway, it was funny. So I'll I'll make this really compact. But so I would call and we'd talk about stuff and you know, um, talk about Striper and things like that. And it was just really cool. He was in, the, in that band and just, you know, just he was a, he was a good dude. He, he talked to this 17 year old kid and, you know, showed interest. And it was just beyond that. But one time um, I'd called him and, and he called me back and he's like, you know, I'm, and, Tony, and if you know Tony Palacios, he's a real personable guy. He likes, you know, he talks. He's the, he's the guy that after the show, you'll go to Denny's with and talk all night. He's that guy. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, he, um, he said, you know, he hasn't called me back. And so he finally called and he said, what's going on, man? I haven't heard from him. And I said, well, dude, my dad died. And this was in 87 and my dad had passed away right, right before Christmas. And uh, other than in my household, the last person to talk to my dad alive was Tony Palacios because he called me that night and I was at a Christmas party at a pizza hut, you know, <laughs> and, but Tony was the last person outside of my household to speak to my dad. And uh, I didn't talk. I told him that my dad died. And what was really wild is, like I said, I was 17. None of my friends had lost their parents. I'm like, I, I, I was going through, you know, that thing alone. And all of a sudden, Tony's like, dude, I lost my mom when I was 12 to cancer. And all of a sudden, it, our conversation stopped being about striper and music and everything like that guitars it became about like how are you doing man like you know this is what i dealt with this is how i felt you know i had no one that understood that experience so tony and i's friendship was based and really rooted through that mm. and uh, i mean he you know he acknowledged it you know i had that band and everything like that but he hated the band he thought we were terrible and you know like i said we were 17 you know <laughs> we probably were you know we, we were a garage band we never rehearsed we didn't do anything 
uh, <laughs> it's actually we actually got signed by accident at the first thing because they thought we were another band called Tempest that was a uh, thrash metal band from Ohio, and uh, but the, then they got the demo that we, and they thought that that band had changed their direction. So it wasn't really like I told we signed on the wrong band, but it's still there's a lot of funky stuff through there. But anyway, but Tony Palacios became a friend, and then I'd heard you know that Paul the Guardian singer had left. And at first I heard they'd broken up and uh, and the guys in White Cross said, no, he goes, they actually are looking for a new singer. And I said, really? And so, so I said, <laughs> I called Tony and say, like, Hey man, I hear you're looking for a new singer. I love Trout. And he's like, no, man, I, I know what you sound like. It's okay. I don't, I don't think you'd be a right fit. And he, he said, we're kind of looking for like a bluesy, like a, almost like a David Coverdale kind of guy. So I said, dude, that's me. I can do that. And he, and so he's like, you're great. Okay. Just do this. Go into a studio, set up a mic and sing. I said, no music, anything? He goes, yeah, that's it. And I said, okay. And part of the big deal about that was they asked everybody to do that. And he said, I was the only one that would do that. People were like, without music? I said, yeah. So I just, no, I had no clue. I just sang. So I literally go in the studio and start going like, like stuff like that in the microphone acapella. And I overnighted it to him, like FedEx. And he was so convinced that it was going to be terrible that he almost didn't pick it up and like he just didn't want to hurt my feelings you know and so his wife Brenda at the time said FedEx called and said they're going to send that package back today if you don't come pick it up because it was a misdelivery and so he's he's felt bad so he went by and he goes and he's been calling every day you know I was leaving a message did you get my tape blah, blah. and uh and so anyway so he he popped it in his van he's going down to Pachyderm Studios they just signed you know, with John and Dino and we're doing pre-production. So they're starting a record without a singer. And uh, <laughs> Tony said he popped it in, just convinced it's going to be terrible. He had to pull off the road and said, this is the guy. You know what I mean? So he called up and I, he called up. It's like, dude, your voice knocked us out. I'm like, how can you get here? And everything. So I was on a plane in the next like, you know, month or so and out there and auditioned. And when I joined, I just cut my hair really short. And you guys know that the time period was all about the image and long hair and all this stuff. And, oh, and so yeah. I, I I had like this length of hair, like almost like Dutch boy. Like I looked, it was kind of purplish. I almost looked like somebody in a cure. And Tony said, <laughs> I, got off, I got off the plane and Tony said his heart just sunk. Like, oh, because I sent him this picture of me looking all rock and roll and everything. And it's like, and I remember him telling you, he goes, dude, you knocked us out. I remember he, at the end, he goes, the only issue we have right now is, is your imaging. I think we can fix that and everything. Like that. And that's that. I mean, this is literally the time. I don't feel weird saying this now, but at the time, this was how you know the music business was, and image was every bit as important as your talent, you know. And so oh, I, I went back home to, and I was in Indiana for like a month, and I rode my bike every single day. I lost like twenty pounds and everything like that. And then, you know, and for the first, you know, we we recorded Fire and Love in the summer of nineteen ninety, and it didn't come out till ninety one. So my hair was starting to grow out, but I wore extensions you know, for the first like six months and everything. But, you know, it's like, I mean, the, the lady who did my hair, did the drummer for David Lee Roth, Greg Bissonette, you know, mm, <laughs> she did wow. him and some other stuff. And it was just, it was a real, just a common thing. Hair extensions were the thing back then. So I, I wore hair extensions and on the, on the fire and love album cover, we actually rented a wig from a wig shop. That's a wig. I'm wearing a wig on that Fire and Love record cover. No, and that's why that's why it's got that straight Kim Bassinger look and stuff. I mean, and literally <laughs> we rented it, so it went back. So somewhere that ended up somewhere else. You know what I mean? But by the time the record and stuff had come out, and my hair was starting to grow. I I flushed it out. So it used to where I'd only wear like partial extensions just to thicken up a little bit. And then by the time Miracle Mile came around, I finally got the ditch extensions and stuff. But that's 
that's a, that's a little bit of hair thing, but just so you, you know, when, when you talk about hair bands, just know the hair was very important to being a hair band. You know? <laughs> oh, ab- ab- one of the things I have no hair now. <laughs> Listen, one of the things we've talked about is the things we miss the most. We will joke is our rock locks. I, I used to have the long hair. In fact, when I was starting as a teacher, believe it or not, uh-huh. I, I was wearing a ponytail. Uh, uh, and, and so I, and then over the years, cut it. <laughs> now it's, I'm really getting, you know, pretty thin up there and it's like man i wish i had that back and (laughs) it's kind of hard to bang your head with short hair (laughs) it is man i tell you what i still i still always wear a hat i'm just i'm just so used i still feel like naked without something on my head you know what i mean But I got to tell you guys a story. I, I tell this all the time. But you know, a few years ago, I actually went and did the hair replacement thing, <laughs> like you know where they did like the, I call it the pelt, where they put the pelt on, and everything. And this, uh, it was expensive. The lady in Nashville who did it does a lot of celebrities and stuff. I saw a lot of people you would never guess. You know, I saw them in there, and but it never would stay on my head, man. I got like this hot head. They said that the it would the, it would melt the adhesive, and the final straw. I wore it for about six months. And I like the way it looked. It almost looked like a Keith Urban kind of cut type thing. And uh, not that Keith Urban goes there. But, um, <laughs> anyway, but it kind of looked like that. And then, uh, but dude, I was getting a chiropractic massage and I had some back issues and the guy's working on it and it fell off. And that's the last I wore it. So wow. <laughs> that's hilarious. That <laughs> that's, hilarious. How, that's how naked I feel without the hair. So, well, let, let's be honest. Rob Halford can pull off the ball yeah. rock look. So, you know, it, it, it can be done. It can, it can be, be done. done. It can be done. I just, I like, I just, I don't know. I just, I just always wear a hat. I just well, don't I, like being bald. I want, I want to circle back around to you. You talk about your voice and you said, you know, they were maybe kind of looking for that kind of David Coverdale, bluesy yeah. rock sort of thing. And I'm thinking about your voice. And when you were saying that, uh, I immediately thought of the new guy that they've got for uh, white cross right now, Dave Robertson. I haven't heard him. He, he he has got that kind of a voice. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you heard uh, a couple years, uh, just about two years back, um, the uh, kind of one of those super groups came out. Uh, iconic. It's got Tommy Aldridge, drummer from oh, yeah, Mike's, yeah, yeah, uh, Mike Sweet, yeah. Michael Sweet, mm-hmm. and the singer Nathan James, yeah, uh, from Inglorious. He's got that kind of voice, and I, I, for my money, I, I just love that. There's a richness <laughs> to it, but then. Wildman and I were talking before you came on the show. Uh, I just don't know a better word to describe this sound. And, and I mean this with total respect. It's sleazy. There's that sleazy rock sound, man. I love it. It just, it's got, it, there's both grit, but there's also depth and there's texture. And I'm going, man, to me, that's a rock voice. I love it. And, and certainly love the stuff that you did, uh, you know, with guardian and, uh, uh, miracle mile is, is definitely one of my faves. Um, yeah. 
A lot, just, uh, was a lot of people saying, you know, I appreciate that. And, and I, 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 I get what you're saying. Sleaze wouldn't be the term I would use. When I think of sleaze, I think of like Faster Pussycat and Pretty Boy Floyd. Well, yes. Which, you know, I was a, I was a glam kid. So I, it's funny. I love all this stuff. Like, I remember, um, I don't know who Jimmy Waldo is. He's the keyboard player in a band called Alcatraz. He okay. Was, he, Tony, when I was first joining Guardian, he was also doing a solo instrumental record from uh, with Grover Jackson of Jackson Guitars. Wow. And, and Jimmy Waldo was engineering it. And Jimmy heard the record and like loved Fire and Love. And like he wanted to meet me. So I came to the studio one day with Tony and everything. And I remember he was like telling me, oh man, you're sounding good. And you know, Jimmy at the time had just, you know, was on was played on a quiet riot three record and some other stuff. And he was an Alcatraz, just a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, and I remember him telling me, he goes, He's like, what do you listen? Who are your vocal influence? I said, oh man, I like you know like Brett Michaels, uh, Janie Lane, everything. And I remember Jimmy like, okay, like kind of rolling his eyes. Because here's the thing, everybody I sounded like weren't influences to me. If I had to, have, if I had to have one vocal influence, and I wish I heard more of it, is Robin Zander from Cheap Trick. That's my, that's my, that's my absolute favorite vocalist of all time. But what's funny is. Like and te- the Jeff Keith from Tesla was never an influence, but I can hear it. It sounds very Tesla esque, and uh, yeah. there's just something, man. It just that came about, and it's like, and the thing is, it sounds all bluesy and raspy. Like it comes from here, dude. It all comes from right here, you know. The whole sound of my voice is in my sinuses, man. Really? So yeah, and so that's why people say, "Well, you're gonna blow your throat." I was thinking like, "I see you walking." If you were right here and touched my face, you'd see that all that noise is coming from right here. You know what I mean? So it's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. So interesting. And so the throaty can, and know, the throaty stuff comes from up here. Well, and, and I know at some point, wow, man, you're just going to have to take control uh, of of this interview. But I've got to ask uh, Jamie another question about the the, the vocal uh, aspect. And, and you were talking about kind of in that in that uh, kind of the face and sinus area and, and and the sound. Did you do you feel that? Did you come to realize that or? did you work with a vocal coach who told you that that is what is actually happening with your voice no my gosh i gotta tell you a story i was the type of guy for so many years like she don't need vocal lessons that's the stupidest thing you either have it or you don't blah blah and then i did the miracle mile tour Mm. and we did the the winter leg and then we took like a two-week break off and came back to do the rest of it and i got a sound check and it literally was i had no voice i couldn't sing like higher like higher than my speaking voice it's like my vocals chords and what happened was and like I said, I'll bring all this stuff down. I, I can t- tend to get long, so I'm aware of this. So I always try to shrink it down. But here's what happened was I was having some food allergies and stuff on the road that I didn't know about at the time and everything. Mm. And so, and one of it was funny, as much as I drink my Diet Coke now for a while, like NutraSweet was one of my allergies. It, it went away. But for a season, like all of a sudden these weird allergies came on. NutraSweet, blueberry, chocolate, uh, t- Tylenol, all these things, like things that just all of a sudden would start giving me like food allergies and swelling my throat and my lips and everything. So I was on the road. And if I, if I had a chocolate chip cookie or something like that from the deli tray that was in the catering, it would screw my voice up. And I had no idea. So anyway, what happened was there's this thing called hyperfunction and vocal cords flop like this. Well, this muscle side got so used to overcompensating that this side stopped oh. working. So basically my voice was like, this. so I had to basically for three months, and we were getting ready to record the swing, swing, swing record. And I literally could not speak louder than this. This is about as loud as I could. And it's funny. I went to the Vanderbilt Boys Center. They run the scope down through everything, everything. And I remember the ladies like just saying, just looks like you picked up some bad habits. Said, well, what can you do for it? Is there anything? And she's like, maybe some vocal lessons. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and I literally, this is going to sound crazy. And this is how bizarre. Now, I literally was thinking, okay, my musical career, you know, regarding we're on the rise, but it's over. 
it, it's like, I'm going to have to do something else because it literally was three months. I couldn't sing. And so I went to a vocal coach. He had me do these stupid trills, <laughs> swallow. And I kid you not within an hour, I had my voice back. Wow. Really? It really, I guess, I guess it's physically impossible for vocal cords not to vibrate properly when you're blowing air like that. So it huh. retrained, it retrained it like almost like it, almost like hitting the machine. Like here, get it together. So mm. I always feel bad because I told so many people, you don't need vocal lessons. And I was sitting there thinking, please take some vocal lessons if you're a touring musician, you know? Got it. So, cool. That's it, man. That's the truth of the whole matter. But it was it was a scary time. But it's funny, actually, it made me a better singer. And it wasn't, I had something almost similar a couple of years ago happen. And it turns out I had a bad acid reflux thing that got up there. And once again, it it almost caused like the vocal cords to like the muscles just to give up. So I had to just, and once again, just a couple little bit of working and stuff like that. I got, I got my voice back. Wow. Oh, very cool. Wow. Well, we know it sounds, it's the, the sound is great on this, uh, the new project, uh, centers welcome, especially mm -hmm. the video on the website. Um, so talk to us about that. Talk to us about, uh, where the motivation came for this new project. You know what I did? I, uh, gosh, it's so funny. And let me back up. And, you know, I, in 2000, 2014, 2015, man, I just went through a major life shift and stuff. And, and, and I'll say it was a pretty self-destructive time and everything like that. I was just, you know, being a bozo, I, I lost my marriage and everything like that. And, uh, I just kind of like, you know, that's the best way I can put it. I was just in a dark, dark place and stuff like that. And, uh, and then, <clears throat> Finally, I meet Amber, who's my current wife and stuff like that, just things. And I started, it was a pastor named Pastor Jim that I met at Biker Church. And actually, Tim Tim Gaines was a good friend of mine. These I had a few people just kind of walk me through. They're like, dude, Andy from Casting Crowns, who passed away, would call me. And mm -hmm. he's like, dude, so I thought, dude, what's going on with you, man? Everything like that. And these are people that really showed me love through the whole time and everything. And slowly brought me back because I literally had this F the world attitude and everything. And it was kind of crazy. But, um, but it's funny, through that time... <laughs> Through that dark time, all of a sudden I started listening to, you know, and obviously I'm 53 and I'm a certain age, and I'll tell you my vocal influences were like poison and warrant and things like that. Um, I started noticing that country music sounded an awful lot like 80s metal with it with an accent. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It just wasn't high. And so, and so I started listening to like this thing called Sirius XM, the highway, their channel, and started listening to some stuff. And Dave Rose, who managed Striper, also managed this mm -hmm. band uh, Parmalee at the time. And I went down to see see them. Uh, here in Nashville one day when I was when I was like separated and living down here on my own and stuff and I, I kind of had a small period where I fell in love with country modern country music because to me it's not like 80s rock and uh and so I went down that road and then uh, it's uh, my wife's brother is a major country writer like like number one I think he's had like 11 number ones or something like that something something wow. crazy like that even last summer he had a, a Luke Combs number one and so I was just kind of intrigued by the whole world and stuff so I had gotten to a point where I didn't want to make music anymore. Was just kind of done with it. I just want to, you know, I had this great job at True Tone, which I still have. I met Amber and everything was just a great life. Music was not going to be a part of that. But then I grabbed my guitar and I started writing songs again. And uh, mostly just, you know, the, thinking that no one's ever going to hear these, just Amber and whatnot. And a friend of mine, Rob Harris, who it's funny, I'm playing the Bluebird Cafe tomorrow. This is on this day. This is August 31st. Uh, on not today tomorrow uh, september 2nd saturday he was a, a friend here in town he goes hey man uh i've always known you you always talked about it'd be cool to play at the bluebird sometime would you would you be interested and so i did and so i got to play the bluebird cafe and i played some of these songs that no one had ever heard that i just had written for amber or something like that and people loved them and mm -hmm. i remember telling amber on the way home 
you know, I wonder, people really seem like, I wonder if I could do like a Kickstarter thing, if people would would even be interested anymore. Because I literally th- think people just moved on. They didn't think. And the record got funded really quickly. So I'll, I'll get to the point real faster. So anyway, I made this modern country rock record in 2019, right before the pandemic called This Is Home. I still love the record and everything, but it, it was definitely a stretch. I think a lot of Guardian fans seem to love it. A lot of people didn't like the country aspect of it, and I, I get that. But uh, and what's funny is, and this, this all has a point: how I get the calamity kills. I promise you. Um, then the pandemic hits. Next week, the dynamic duo returns. Come back next week to hear the exciting conclusion of Jamie Rowe and Calamity Kills with the Wild Man and Steve. Same Wild Man and Steve time, same Wild Man and Steve channel. The Wild Man and Steve show is now partnering with New Release Today. Find out more about them at newreleasetoday.com. And don't forget to check out our website where you can also leave us a review at wildmanandsteve.com. Sounds like rock and roll to me.